0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's the gray zone. Max Blumenthal here with award-winning Canadian journalist, Aaron Maté. And there's so much going on that I wanted to make sure I could be as up to date as possible. So apologies for starting late. Right now, as Israel possibly enters the Gaza Strip for a uh, ground offensive, possibly. Uh, there is a momentous vote at the united nations on an amendment to call for a ceasefire Uh, and western support for that amendment is gathering basically the u.s rep linda thomas greenfield performatively denounced the non-aligned countries pushing the ceasefire for not including hamas in the resolution denouncing hamas calling for a release of captives and so they've amended the language and now a lot of the western states are coming along possibly i don't know i don't know if the what's happening if the us is going to come along they've obviously blocked the russian ceasefire amendment they blocked the brazilian ceasefire resolution but things are happening and that seems to have pushed i'm I'm not sure but we're seeing because we don't know what's actually happening in gaza because israel's cut all the communications everything is dark there uh jawal the main phone provider paltel they've all gone offline that may have prompted israel to wage a two-front war one against gaza on land launching an invasion and against the united nations and in international diplomacy a political war and so we're i think during this stream we might find out what's actually happening we are going to be joined by gabor mate uh for a moment of sanity in about 20 minutes uh Aaron how's it going welcome
1: hello everybody thanks for joining us um we kind of have to you know um it's it's hard to talk right now when we fathom what is taking place as we speak Israel's carpet boss carpet bombing Gaza with what looks like the most intense bombings to date, which is hard to fathom given how unbelievably genocidal and murderous things have already gone. Uh, But as Max said, the internet phone lines have been totally cut off from Gaza. So it's people, and it's hard to imagine saying this, are even more cut off from the rest of the world, are even more besieged than ever before. And that's just, um, we're dealing with, I mean, this is a modern day Holocaust. That's what we're watching, a Nazi regime Inflicting genocide before our eyes with our government's full support, the full support of the Biden administration, um, which is denying death tolls, uh, which is openly boasting that more people in Gaza are going to die, John Kirby, which is shedding crocodile tears for Israelis who were killed on October seventh, but basically cheering on and den- well, cheering on and denying the murder of Gazans. It's an unbelievable moment
0: so israel uh, according to walid dadu the al Jazeera reporter who whose uh, entire nuclear family was killed in a targeted strike by israel 2 days ago uh the 100 warplanes are operating in the gaza strip right now uh intense bombing of uh, uh, the Beit lahia refugee camp in the north has been has been especially targeted. There have been several massacres today. Uh, we can't say how many or how many have been dead. We're hearing just scattered reports of bodies being found in the streets throughout uh, Northern Gaza. I can show some of that in a second, but I think you're seeing the skies being lit up by Israeli warplanes, possibly laying the groundwork for a ground invasion. And, and as I mentioned, they targeted all the communications equipment. This is what Gaza looked like earlier today. This is the Holocaust that Aaron mentioned earlier. The death toll 48 hours ago passed 7,000, according to Gaza's Health Ministry, which has published all the names of the dead. The child death toll has tracked at about the usual population rate Allah. of 50% of the Gaza Strip, Allah. and so we can safely, As- 3,500 people are dead,
2: Allah. By people Allah. under 18. As- these
0: are just the scenes As- that are Allah. common Allah. all across the Gaza Strip. As- We're Allah. unable to reach anyone
2: inside As- right As- now.
0: As- but, As- I think I As- you As- more of the carnage. Uh, you know, we have tons of footage of massacres. And as I said, it's impossible to record them. Israel comes at night. It uh, tends to kill most at night with its warplanes and so that was just during the the day. And we've seen some um, discussion. Well, we heard from Daniel Harari, the um, Israeli army spokesman that they're expanding ground operations, which could be code for ground invasion. Uh, One telegram channel that's still operating from Gaza has reported a tank incursion in the north. And then you have um, this is Daniel Harari, the Israeli army spokesperson, essentially telegraphing that they want to attack the only building still standing in uh, the al rimal neighborhood of central Gaza City. Everything else has been totally destroyed. It's where all the administrative centers are. Um, and this is the Al Shifa hospital, which is has 4,000 beds and thousands and thousands of people, basically the entire Al Rimal neighborhood are sheltering there because they have nowhere else to go because they're all homeless. Um, they can either go there or they can go south to who knows where, to tent cities. Israel's attacking Khan Yunus. They've attacked um, the Nuserat refugee camp. They've attacked everywhere along the way to Rafah
2: with Shifa Hospital, located in Gaza City, the biggest hospital in Gaza. This is the Shifa Hospital. You can see where it locates in Gaza City, the largest hospital in Gaza. It has over 1,500 beds. 4,000 staff, and now it has also more people around the surroundings of the hospital. The red uh, marks that you've seen before and you'll see later are red marks of buildings that are involved with Hamas, and we know it, and we have the proofs that they are with involvement of Hamas.
0: So basically, he presents uh, a mock-up and audio of phone calls indica uh, as proof that hamas's military high command the al Qassam brigades are operating offices under the al-shifa hospital in tunnels and announcing essentially that this is their main target i am it's unclear to me what they're going to do i've been to al-shifa hospital several times um, you know if they attack al-shifa hospital it would be one of the worst military massacres or massacres of civilians in history that we can think of in our lifetimes I mean there are tens of thousands of people there and uh, thousands of people there at all times and it's on a very small slice of land surrounded by a tight Warren of shops and restaurants so uh the irony here is that if you look in the upper right hand corner, it says IDF HQ Tel Aviv. And that's where he's speaking from. He's speaking from Hakiriya, which is a giant complex in Tel Aviv com- that includes several skyscrapers or large uh, office towers. And it's nestled in the middle of a civilian neighborhood in Tel Aviv, surrounded by residential areas. Uh, it's near the Azraeli shopping mall, the biggest shopping mall in Tel Aviv. And so basically this guy is speaking from within a civilian area in the military headquarters of Israel. He himself is using them as human shields while saying Hamas is using a hospital as human shields and. Uh, w- without presenting proof, they're just these phone calls between people in Gaza. They're, they're not even uh, they're, they're intercepted phone calls and one person is saying, oh, yeah, they're they're all under there. They're under that hospital. I think it's important that we pay attention to this presentation. Uh, so they have animation,
1: basically. They're showing the us animation. animation and, and this is their supposed proof. And those phone calls, which they claim are intercepted, this is the same army that put out a supposed intercepted phone call from some Palestinian militants after the hospital bombing, uh, claiming uh, that these two militants admitted that the rockets were fired from near there. Of course, people pointed out that the accents were really off, did not sound like people from Gaza. And there was even a forensic analysis done on the audio, which basically showed that it had been manipulated and, and recorded on separate channels. And right. again, even if you don't, even if you ignore that uh, scrutiny, there, the very fact that this military, the same one that lacked the intelligence capabilities to pick up that Hamas was planning October seventh, they now want us to believe that they can intercept phone calls from Hamas militants, which just happened to validate the core aims of Israeli propaganda. It's such a joke. It's such a joke. And of course, the US media trained to parrot whatever the Israeli government says goes along with it. But anybody with their eyes open can see. I mean, this government is historically mendacious. They lie all the time. They commit massacres and lie all the time. So this is nothing new. There's no reason to take anything they say seriously.
0: No, absolutely not. We can assume that there are tunnels, (laughs) there are tunnels because there's pretty much nowhere else to go.
1: Sure, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, those phone calls, well, the phone calls were introduced uh, kind of as a propaganda measure to deflect from the bombing of the Al-Ahli Baptist Hospital in Gaza City. Where at least 100 were killed, maybe as many as 500 were killed. And that phone call, you know, the accents were Lebanese. Uh, Arabic speakers pointed that out immediately. I know yeah. just having been in Egypt and in Lebanon, like I can even tell the Arabic is different. Gaza Arabic is closer to Egyptian Arabic. You'll hear people use expressions like Ya and like What's Up, man, is like an Egyptian expression. you you won't even hear that in the in the west bank people eat differently in the gaza strip they eat they like spicier food because they're closer to the egyptians Um, and it's like that distinction was completely papered over because that phone call and a lot of this propaganda is not for uh the consumption of discerning media consumers or people in the arab world it's for the consumption of american dupes and uh, also for Zionists just to keep them on board as they continue to prosecute this massacre they need to believe that oh well we didn't do it they bombed their own hospital and now oh if we bomb that hospital uh those the terrorists who are just as bad as Isis are underground
1: yeah and all this you know look even if you don't care if you're one of those people who doesn't care about the civilians of of Gaza right The Israeli government and the U.S. government claim that their top priority is freeing the hostages that Hamas is holding. Well, we've already seen Hamas release four people. If Israel wanted to, it could engage in negotiations directly. And what is what is Hamas asking for? Uh, Their concerns were just their demands were just relayed by the Washington Post. Here it is: Hamas was proposing to release all foreign civilian hostages. Let me make this bigger in exchange for a five day ceasefire. Um, Israeli civilian hostages would be released if additional demands are met, including the release of Palestinian women and children in Israeli prisons and the opening of the Rafah border crossing so wounded civilians can receive care in Egypt and fuel, food, and medicine and water can enter Gaza. Um, but again, uh, Israel's position is that no fuel can enter Gaza, uh, which means that babies in incubators can die water pumps can't work because they don't want actually to free these hostages because they want to maintain any excuse they can to undertake what they're committing which is mass murder
0: yeah it's like kuwaiti incubator babies but real uh the united nations announced yesterday that gaza's food situation was catastrophic uh the hospitals have well al shifa for example is announced they have 36 hours left of fuel uh, before they can no longer operate so we will see a massacre of civilians of pregnant women of people i mean you have people in al-shifa on dialysis who will simply die uh i've been to the dialysis center there it, it, it's 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 i mean I, at every level it's a catastrophe the oncology wards are shutting down and obviously people can't get out for emergency treatment that they can't get inside gaza and then you have something like 20 000, at least 20,000 injured people including critically injured people you have the last figure i saw a week ago was 1400 people missing according to gaza rescue crews hundreds of people are trapped under the rubble and can't be rescued because they don't have the the tools the, the powerful tools that were granted by like NATO British intelligence to the Syrian white helmets who have been showered with awards and welcomed in parliaments around the world, but the heroes saving lives in Gaza hospitals. Well, they're just getting in the way of empire. So we're not hearing too much about them. We're not hearing much about the heroic journalists in the Gaza Strip, like Wael Dadu, who's all, back on air after his entire family was killed. From the Western press has nothing to say about about them they're not giving a pat on their back to
1: their colleague they don't even see him as a colleague so and, and when was his when was his home bombed it was right after Anthony Blinken reportedly was pressuring Qatar to quote tone down its coverage of Gaza so Blinken while he's encouraging the Israeli assault on Gaza is directing his energies to encourage Al Jazeera to stop covering it properly and right after he does that then a home of a prominent out Al- of probably the most prominent Al Jazeera journalist inside Gaza, or at least one of them, gets bombed. And you have to wonder if there's a connection there.
0: Yeah. uh
3: Al-
0: Anthony Blinken actually made that demand to Qatar on October 13th. And then he revealed that he did it or boasted about it, according to Axios, in a speech to quote unquote American Jewish leaders. So he's been, he told them to turn down the volume. This is why i do back on camera after his family, his son was killed, his seven-year-old daughter was killed, his 18-month-old grandson was killed, his wife was killed. Uh, You know, and Anthony Blinken was boasting about trying to turn down the volume on Al Jazeera to Israel lobbyists. Why? Because Biden's running for re-election. He needs their support. There's no other reason. So this guy, as Anthony Blinken parades around the world boasting about his support for press freedom, one of the most prominent journalists in the Arab world, is collateral damage for Anthony Blinken and Joe Biden's re-election campaign at home. And and Israel did Israel deliberately target him? A prominent Israeli journalist went on Israel's Channel 13 and said, "We essentially we didn't like his coverage." We had to kill him. I'm Mm. missing the video of that right now, but uh it's it's in Hebrew without translation. Take my word for it. It's disgusting. And you know, we have a piece up on the site at thegrayzone.com by Wyatt Reed compiling uh compiling info on all the Palestinian journalists who've been targeted, killed, had their houses bombed. Tamar el Michel, another very prominent Al Jazeera Arabic journalist. Uh first had his entire channel deleted by Meta after, one day after he published a special documentary at Al Jazeera Arabic on Meta's censorship of Palestinian outlets and then at the beginning of Israel's assault his house was bombed we're also seeing doctors directors of hospitals the director of the Indonesian hospital which is uh on the verge of running out of fuel in the north of Gaza his family was killed in a targeted strike because he refused to evacuate the hospital in the south in Rafa. Doctor Sohail Hams, who I visited in the Kuwaiti hospital, Israel demanded that they evacuate. He refused. The day he refused that order, his family was bombed at home. So these are targeted assassinations of doctors, of journalists. Uh, it is, and just you know, before we bring Gabor in we're going to bring in Dr. Gabriel Mate to put this in perspective. Um I was at the State Department yesterday for the briefing. For some reason the guy the spokesman the flack Matthew Miller didn't call on me. I can't imagine why. Um, but he was referring to the whole population of Gaza as human shields. And and you could see the The press pushing him more than they were at the beginning to try to establish some daylight between the state department and the israeli government on the notion that there are even civilians in gaza he refused to even cite the number that might have been killed in gaza he he wouldn't budge from that position and what i wanted to say to him and what i'll try to do again is If Antony Blinken is going to accuse China of genocide for its alleged treatment of the Uyghur minority without even alleging that there is any mass killing or systematic killing or any killing taking place, let alone forcible transfer, then how can they veto ceasefire resolutions when Israel is meeting all of the criteria for genocide? you have forced transfer 1.1 people being forced from the north under penalty of being killed by missile strikes ordered to leave you have mass killing on a systematic level including of high of 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 political leadership and grassroots people medical uh, medical you know doctors across the board and you have genocidal intent israeli leadership describing the population of gaza's human animals inhuman animals according to former un ambassador dan gillerman member of knesset moshe Faglin called for the annihilation of gaza naftali bennett former prime minister compared gaza to dresden and said we must firebomb it and on and on and on genocidal intent is clear so they're meeting all of the standards for classical genocide we don't throw around that term lightly in fact sometimes we'll challenge it when it's obviously being deployed as atrocity propaganda by the us to overthrow an official enemy as you see with China. But this is pretty clear. It's pretty clear what's happening here. Um, so with that, uh, Aaron, uh, why don't you uh, introduce our, our guest, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate?
1: Well, Gabor Mate is a, a retired physician and an author and also a survivor of another genocide, the Nazi Holocaust. And um, we wanted to bring him in just briefly uh, to share his thoughts on what's going on in Gaza. Welcome, Dad. Welcome. Hi, how
3: are you guys? Um, It's one of those situations where somebody who deals with trauma in my work and who speaks so much, and words really are my metier, the words fail me at this point. Um, It's difficult to explain how I perceive the situation, but in a certain deep sense, I feel that it's the worst thing I've seen in my whole life. And uh, it's impossible to compare atrocities. I mean, nothing compares with the mechanized murder of five, six million Jews by the Nazis. Uh, <clears throat> what can compare to the slaughter of three million Vietnamese civilians by the Americans? Um, the many murders and mass killings that are not even reported in the Western press, such as the Indian Asian genocide in East Timor, such as the killing of 100,000 Guatemalan indigenous people in the 1990s by the American and Israeli-trained brutal military in that country, one could go on. But what is different about this is that I've never seen anything so publicly committed, such atrocities perpetrated on television, and the victims are presented as the uh, as the perpetrators, and Either this spectacle, this obscene, vicious, vicious spectacle that we're subjected to, is either supported or condoned by the major media, major media, and all the politicians. Now, um, it's obligatory, and I think it's even necessary to say, this is my point of view, is that what happened on October seventh wasn't justifiable, that the killings of civilians, whatever details may yet emerge about intentions or what actually happened, that's not something that should have happened. That was something horrible and it was an atrocity. But even the need to say that comes out of a culture in which the atrocities of the other side are never called out. No Israeli spokesman, when they talk about their policies, ever asked, do you condemn the, uh, the pogrom at Hawara in the, in the West Bank earlier this year? Do you condemn the killings of Palestinian children by settlers? Do you, do you condemn the regular attacks by the settlers? Do you understand that the former deputy chief of staff of the Israeli army said that the situation of the Palestinians in the West Bank reminds him of the situation of Jews in Germany. Is this even reported in the Western press? And what he meant by is that the settlers, like the Nazi hooligans, are free to attack the Palestinians as the Nazis, thugs, the bronze shirts, were free to attack Jews and the army and the police not only stood by, they aid and abetted them. Is the Western public made aware of the Thousands of Jewish Israeli rabbis and historians and intellectuals who recently signed a document calling the present situation clearly apartheid. Are you aware that the former head of Herva Mossad has said that the situation of the Palestinians under the occupation is apartheid? And so when anybody is asked to speak about perpetrations on the Palestinian side, they immediately asked to condemn and to denounce and to reject. And yet the daily suffering, crucifixion of the Palestinian people, and including and especially the people in Gaza, nobody's ever called to task, nobody's ever questioned any smooth-faced liars in the Israeli army who, um, Who would give lessons to Goebbels, Joseph Goebbels, who who are masters of propaganda, like Goebbels never was. They're allowed to get away with it. Now, I'm speaking emotionally now. It's not helpful sometimes to speak emotionally because people get repelled by the anger or by the outrage that one generates. I understand the grief on both sides. I understand the sorrow. I've had communication from Israeli friends who are actually sympathetic to the Palestinian side, who are just in fear, who are um, full of thoughts of revenge. I get that, I understand it. But surely in this situation, whoever you are, whichever side you're on, you gotta get past your feelings. You can understand your feelings, you can accept them, but you ought, if you want truth, And if you want peace and if you want justice, you can't just go by feelings, feelings that are conditioned by decades of propaganda, decades of weaponizing the suffering of Jews as a baton with which to beat the Palestinians. You gotta get past that. And you have to actually ask yourself, do I really know what's going on? Have I stood one second even in my mind in the shoes of the other have I tried to understand what's happening to those people? If they committed certain acts that are hateful, what drove them to that hate? Did the Palestinians come to Europe to attack Jews? Or did something happen in that in their land that made them so desperate? And finally, I'll only say that what happened there is not a secret. It's been documented, it's been written up by Israeli historians. I could name five of them right off the bat, Tom Segev. Um, uh, um, Simha Flapan, um, Ilan Papi, um, um, many others by Israeli journalists. None of this is even vaguely controversial from the historical point of view. And the fact that we live in such a bubble, and this bubble is created by the same Western press that brought us the Iraq War and the weapons of mass destruction, and yes, the Kuwaiti incubator children leading to the death of 500,000 Iraqi civilians, the same Western press that brought us the Vietnam War, when Martin Luther King spoke out against the Vietnam War. Do you remember what the New York Times said? New York Times said, this time he crossed over the line. It's that same press. You might wanna ask yourself, why are they so either passive or enthusiastic cheerleaders for this genocide? Are you really going to trust them? Are you going to try and find out for yourself? So, yes, I'm speaking with a lot of emotion now. I did give it into you an extensive one, a longer one, not so emotionally laden as these words have been now. But in light of the latest news from Gaza with the apparently cell phones, the internet being cut off and the yep. bombing and the bombings being escalated, you know what? I'm upset. I'm really upset. I have a lot of feelings of pain. Um, I know what happened to my own people nothing that happened to us in any way justifies what's going on right now i'll stop there
0: uh, gabra um well we should we should definitely do a more extensive interview with you um examining the psyche of zionism in this c- current era in this current phase and possibly even the psyche of a population like that in Gaza Strip, which has been totally betrayed by the world, and uh, has taken on uh, the role of one of history's greatest, most tormented victims, but which also is determined to resist with arms. Uh, But I want to get you now before you go to just respond to one thing. I just want to get your response to some comments benjamin netanyahu made before escalating the assault on gaza hmm. sorry and we lost volume there so i started over. of
4: the light they are the people of darkness and light shall triumph over darkness so,
0: hey, so let's hear that people again of
4: the light, they are the people of darkness and light shall triumph over darkness so, hey, so citizens of israel october 7th was a very dark and black day in our history we will fully investigate what had happened at our southern border the border with gaza Everybody will have to provide answers, myself included, but all that will happen only after the war. As a prime minister, I'm responsible for guaranteeing the future of this country, and now my role is to lead all Israelis, the state of Israel and the people of Israel to an overpowering victory. It is now a time to come together for one purpose, to storm ahead to achieve victory. in joint With joint forces and a profound belief in our justness a profound belief in the eternity of the jewish people we shall realize the prophecy of isaiah there will no longer be stealing at your borders and your gates will be of glory together we will fight together we will win people of the
0: so he starts off by referring to people of the light versus people of the darkness
3: i'm happy to I'm happy to respond. I completely agree with Netanyahu. The light will triumph over the darkness. He's just a bit confused as to what represents light and darkness. He's one of the darkest minds on the world stage right now. He dares quote prophecy, I'll give him prophecy. It says in the uh, Tanakh, thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, you who yourselves strangers in Egypt. And what Netanyahu has devoted his career to is oppressing the other. And he dares prattle on about light. Um, What we're witnessing there, And, and you know, with Netanyahu, it's like with many other politicians, turn off the sound. Just listen to their body language. What you're seeing there is a person so alienated from his humanity, so committed to his ego. That, as they say in Hungarian, whatever he says, not even the opposite is true. It's so false. Not even the opposite is true. And yeah, BB, the light will triumph. Despite whatever you can do. And you have a lot of power to impose a lot of suffering. And you will, because that's your nature. That's what you committed to.
0: Thank you, Dr. Gabramate. I know you have to go, but I would love to see a more in-depth interview between you and Aaron, uh, along the lines of the one you did on Russia Gate. Um, love to have you back, Aaron. I don't know if there's anything you want to. No.
1: Thank you, Dad, so and... much for joining us.
3: Yeah, and I'm happy to come back to talk about the the psychological underpinnings of of, of these events, for sure. Thank you both. Take care. All right take care grabber so uh
0: that was the prophetic voice right there of dr gabor mate i think a much needed intervention today uh it's very interesting to note benjamin netanyahu's language in the context of uh, classically fascist rhetoric but also as a preview of what was to take place uh he if something appears that's significant in a Netanyahu wartime speech it's for it's for a reason he's not just speaking off the cuff he was signaling that he was going to cut off the light the all light and communications to Gaza in my view and now if you actually look at a satellite image like a Maxar satellite of Gaza versus Israel Israel they are the people with light and the people in gaza are the people in total darkness uh, i'll read a message i just got from a friend uh my palestinian friends who i grew up with have lost all contact with their relatives in gaza one friend lost 14 members of her family including a 2 week old baby our polit- our politicians in the uk this is a british friend have lost all credibility especially labor the second nakba is unfolding and uh I've lost contact with all people I know in Gaza. Um, so in some senses, what Netanyahu is saying is literally true, but you cannot see more darkness in the eyes of a world leader. I mean, I hasten to call him a world leader. But in the in the eyes of a leader than Netanyahu. Uh, and it echoes. It actually echoes uh Rhetoric, he tweeted before the Al-Ahli Baptist hospital attack, he also referred to children of the light and children of darkness. He's been using this rhetoric a lot. He's trying to get Israel. He's pushing a religious war, even though he's not particularly religious, which is sort of one of the great contradictions of Zionism. You know, the first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, an atheist socialist who insisted that the Bible entitled him to the land. I don't believe in God, but God gave me the land. Yeah. And Netanyahu is also mobilizing support within the Bible belt in the US and exactly. the Republican Party for yeah. this religious assault. And they're reframing Hamas from a nationalist Islamist group that it is, whose armed wing, the Al-Qassam Brigades, has consensus support within palestinian society just because the act of armed resistance has consensus support the political wing maybe not but they're reframing them as isis as a global religious fascist entity theocratic entity determined to establish a caliphate and they are posing as the defenders of judeo-christian civilization netanyahu uses the language of the the jungle versus the, the you know the the Villa Israel being the Villa or the garden and that's what's so dangerous about this moment um and the U.S. Yeah, has accepted that
1: rhetoric yeah they're egged on by people like Lindsey Graham who right start called for a religious war those are his words religious war and he said let's level the place referring to Gaza that's exactly what Israel is doing and that's who their base is now inside the U.S. it's traditional neocons like Lindsey Graham, but also fanatic evangelicals. Yeah. And that combination is combining to produce Armageddon, uh, so to fulfill their own prophecy. And um, I mean, we'll get to this, and then now the question becomes, Are will other fronts open up? Already, as we're speaking, Israel's uh, the U.S. bombed Syria hours ago uh, in purported retaliation for attacks on its troops there um and no one ever questions of course why U.S. forces are in Syria but for now I mean just speaking of the genocidal toll in Gaza I I think we got to play this clip from the White House spokesperson John Kirby yeah who you know the Biden administration is fully in lockstep with everything Israel is doing the U.S. has instrumental leverage over Israel instead of using it to stop the assault it's only trying to fuel it by arming Israel and blocking all diplomatic efforts and uh John Kirby was asked at the White House about the toll so far of, I mean, now it's jumped exponentially, but at the time it was over 7,000 Palestinians killed. And he refused to accept that toll as legitimate.
5: Yesterday, John City has no confidence in the death toll numbers presented by the Palestinians in Gaza. What's he basing
4: that on? How did he reach the
5: conclusion? Well, we all know that the Gazan Ministry of Health is just a, a, a front for Hamas. It's, a, it's run by Hamas, a terrorist organization. Um, I've said it myself up here. We can't take anything coming out of Hamas, including the so called Ministry of Health, at face value. President, yesterday, John City.
1: I mean, First of all, I don't even think it's true that the Ministry of Health is run by Hamas. I believe it's under the authority of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. But regardless, the State Department has used the Gaza Health Ministry's figures multiple times. So even what Kirby is saying there is contradicted by established U.S. policy. Um, and even if that weren't U.S. policy, it would still be ridiculous what he's saying. But that's where we're at right now is not just you know genocide abetting, but genocide denial.
0: John Kirby is such a fake little hypocritical crisis actor I mean he always cries fake tears you can't even see the tears they're the, it's the fakest fake crying I've ever seen for the victims of any official designated UN US enemy like he cried fake tears for Ukrainian civilians and then when it comes to just regular people in Gaza being slaughtered he said "And we don't have the I don't I don't have the clip in front of me but to paraphrase it he said well death happens in war and we just expect a lot of death and this is what the death toll looks like in gaza this is these are the names produced by the confirmed death toll produced by gaza's health ministry including the id numbers of every person killed and it just goes on and on along with their ages you can see one two three twenty eight sixteen five four and and we we know of so many people who've been killed in in recent days. Everybody I talked to has lost family members who lives in Gaza.
1: Or and this neighbors. is before today's this is before today's carpet bombing. So you can't even fathom what that list will look it like. It just now. goes
0: on and on and on. We're at right now. We're at. We're not even at three thousand dead yet. You know, this is something that. You know, if you're involved in activist work, plaster these on wheat paste all around your city, make everyone see these names. Uh, Bring them to rallies, show these names everywhere because the US is denying that they exist and it's calling them all human shields. They've, I mean, this is the most ghastly dehumanization of a people by my government I've ever seen. And I, as I said at the State Department briefing, it was the same talking points. They're human shields. We mourn the loss of civilian life, but we question these numbers by the Gaza Health Ministry. And it's because the PR, the PR price is just too much for the U.S. to bear. If they admit that Israel has slaughtered over seven thousand, probably eight thousand, by the end of today, tonight, in two weeks or so, how will, how will that? How will that work with younger democrats for example because obviously all they care about is getting re-elected at this point in the biden administration it's not clear to me they're trying to stabilize the region how will that play
1: so there's and meanwhile the gaza municipality a building that would be heavily involved in collecting figures like this and hold gaza's records and archives they've warned that they've received a threat from israel that they're going to be bombed um it's the headquarters for the city administration it stood for nearly 200 years. This building houses vital city documents and archives and the execution of the occupation's threats to bombard it would plunge the city into significant chaos. So yeah. even the people who collect the records of the massacres of the people of Gaza are being erased even now they're under threat.
0: Yeah, I mean, this. as I said last week, uh, what Israel does is it just basically has, um a population register in its possession and an informant network and they start with what they think their top level targets are and then they move from there and eventually run out of targets they start targeting any political activist anyone they hear might be affiliated with Hamas and they kill their entire family while they're in the home 19 people 15 people the house collapses on them and then they just tell the us uh we're striking terror targets i mean the fact that anyone is using the language of terror targets at this point or striking hamas is just scandalous it's completely scandalous along with this generally tepid response of mainstream u.s media i mean jake tapper's still in israel doing like october 7th propaganda and he's interviewing like an israeli sp- uh, Israeli government asset, and Israel lobby propagandist who says he's the son of a Hamas leader. I mean, it's just the cheapest. They've run out of propaganda, and now they're just recycling Israeli foreign ministry propaganda. And meanwhile, I mean, their massacres are happening like this, and the Israeli public is not being shown one second of this.
5: They're not seeing any of this.
0: there's a total consensus support in israeli society for carpet bombing gaza right now as gideon levy at Haaretz pointed out today the left in israel the sort of respectable left there within like the merits party whatever was left of labor all those people protesting netanyahu for quote unquote democracy in tel aviv have become the the greatest cheerleaders for the war and the right is descended into all out fascism as we see violent settler attacks on palestinians that have killed dozens in the west bank so the the reins are off there's no there's no political restriction on netanyahu or the israeli military to operate freely and we're not seeing it from the us at least publicly although we do have um, some interesting news out of the UN, and I'm just going to make sure that I get this right, um, but there was a, well, it's completely worthless to Google anything at this point, but there was a Canadian resolution to call for a ceasefire and um, and or Canada abstained
1: so yeah I was gonna say I wouldn't Justin Trudeau is such a <laughs> yeah 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 well it's coward, still significant
0: I mean. Canada has yeah. abstained on an emergency resolution at the UN General Assembly calling for an immediate durable and sustained humanitarian truce leading to a cessation of hostilities so it passed with two 120 votes in favor
1: United okay so that's the UN General Assembly right yeah so yeah not the but it's significant
0: country. that some, you know, and Justin Trudeau was heckled earlier today by Canadian activists, he was booed mm-hmm. at a mosque that he was attempting to visit over Gaza. And now he's abstained. The United States you can see is one of the 14 votes along with some of its tools, the like the the the, the famously uh, famous geopolitical power Papua New Guinea against this resolution but canada has abstained i mean that's look at how ardently canada supported the assault the proxy war in ukraine
1: yeah um the uk also abstained yeah i i guess that's just a, re- a reflection of fear of their own populations like the outrage that their complicity is is causing i guess they don't want to inflame, inflame that further by voting along with the us um so they have to abstain but
0: well, and there's wow. enormous pressure from, you know, what we would think would be the vassal states in the Arab world, Jordan, uh, Queen Rania declaring that the West doesn't care about Palestinian lives, uh, King Abdullah denouncing the US at a, at a gathering of the Arab League. Uh, these are, I mean, th- this is essentially the most complicit or compliant state in the arab world uh Fattah al sisi who is basically installed into power by the uk and the us uh dressing down tony blinken when he was meeting with them the us and by extension uk are facing a complete collapse of credibility even among the governments that they essentially control in the arab world so uh the the, the pressure is is mounting and it really helps explain the timing of whatever Israel's doing right now. Um and going back to a point I was making before, this is a little disjointed. The Israeli the Israeli society has uh, it, it it passed into a transit passed a transition point towards fascism with the election of Benjamin Netanyahu in 2009. And you would see these attitudes of israeli youth who are indoctrinated to participate in the military through full conscription uh expressing that kind of fascism where the israeli democracy institute around that time started documenting over 50 percent of israeli youth declaring they would never live next door to an arab they would not want an arab in their school and they uh, the majority of israelis telling the israeli democracy institute index uh, that they favor the forced transfer of Palestinians. That was all leading up to now, but now it's just- oh, Wait, Max,
1: you, you made a great video on this back then, when you went and interviewed Israelis. And what did you call it? Feeling the hate in Israel? Well,
0: I did a series of uh, feeling the hate, which is completely suppressed on YouTube. But And feeling yeah. the hate in Jerusalem has been banned by YouTube and Vimeo and everyone else. But yeah, I mean, that's when I started exposing what was going to happen, because I felt like it was building up to something that would yeah. lead up regional war and possibly world war and it emanates from this it emanates from this mentality that we're now seeing because we're now in an era of total social media proliferation where the zeitgeist the ugliest zeitgeist of a society cannot be hidden and the citizens are so proudly exhibitionist of their fascism uh that we see israelis mocking i mean this is a trend now israelis mocking palestinians for dying
1: and oh, this is just
0: so Involving sick. their children as well. And everybody needs to see what Zionism has done to Jewish people living in Israel and Jewish people who support Zionism. These are entire families mocking families in Gaza for dying, involving their children. They think it's funny. This is just sheer unadulterated sadism and it's the mentality that brought Netanyahu's governing coalition to power and his war cabinet. And when you look at this, you say what kind of government could even get away with a ceasefire or uh, some kind of deal for captives with this population. With when, when it has to be accountable to this population for votes. I don't think Israel will stop what it's doing in Gaza until it satiates the bloodlust of its citizens, unless somebody from outside stops it, whether they stop it through military force or they stop it through diplomatic, imposing diplomatic pressure. And right now, the UN is completely failing to be able to do anything. It's just pure hatred and the contempt that you see on display there preceded October 7th and I think precipitated October 7th. It's what precipitated it. And for many in Gaza, it was like, you know what, you've been treating us like animals, so to hell with you. That's not a mentality I support. I'm not condoning it. When you keep people in a cage for so long, and then you just start shaking the cage again and again. And they break out. Do you expect them to throw candy on you?
1: Well, Max. Speaking of shaking, I mean, so in Israel, you see on display there this insane sadism from its people, its politicians, and then in what are you getting from, you know, uh, some segments—not us, obviously—but other segments of the American Jewish community? You have headlines like this in the New York Times: "Why Jews Cannot Stop Shaking Right Now." It's like ridiculous navel-gazing and self-victimization is that somehow American Jews are under threat and they're the victims here and they're the ones who should be worried uh, as their tax dollars are funding of genocide of people in Gaza um, and their, their culture, I mean, our culture is being weaponized to inflict this catastrophe, this genocide inside Gaza. And yet, so the American Jewish culture, segments of it, liberal Zionist American Jewish culture is navel gazing and self-victimization
0: yeah I mean you have a culture that is breaking apart and assimilating in the U.S. and they're looking for something to hold them together and they thought they found it uh, with Israel under attack finally we can be the victim again you know we don't a lot, a lot of us are secular we don't like going to shul uh, but we have this Zionist pillar that we can rally around and for years we've been told that they're the oppressor it's apartheid and now it's the Holocaust again And you heard CNN anchors again and again repeating the line, the worst killing of Jews since the Holocaust, constantly invoking the Holocaust and erasing the whole history of the siege of Gaza, the occupation of Palestine. And this is the kind of narcissistic, uh, self-indulgent drivel, embarrassing, cringeworthy drivel that pours out in the pages of America's premier journals from the most affluent, privileged, group living in a golden age in america it's just so disgusting and it actually is fueling anti-semitism for non-jews to see this kind of behavior they might not say it but people are starting to who i think people are becoming resentful of this kind of entitlement as they should this proportionality of violence is so extreme and so obvious for everyone to see yeah Uh, I mean think about uh wild I do he lost his entire family in a targeted airstrike and he's on air the next day but Jews in like New York are literally shaking and they're literally shaking they're not literally shaking by the way that's like some fake internet term um but but yeah they're playing the victim they're trying to and they're the biggest hypocrites to these kind of like neocons who emerged during like the late stage of covid like Barry Weiss as these proud uh opponents of censorship supporters of free speech who you know like barry weiss didn't do anything about the mandates until the end when she realized it was popular and she you know is she 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 quit the new york times because you know they're not letting people denounce identity politics enough and they're against wokeism but when it comes to their own ethno-religious sect their own ethno-religious group If anyone touches a hair on their head, all of a sudden it's the second Holocaust and anyone who says anything critical of them has to be fired from their jobs, defunded, totally destroyed and their organizations have to be banned. They don't believe in free speech at all. They believe in a total Palestine exception for free speech. Barry Weiss has to be the biggest fraud in American media just because of that fake role of the courageous crusader against the woke mob. All those people that talk about the woke mob and like i can mock the woke wokeism all day all those people are the biggest frauds right now because they are part of the establishment identitarian zionist mob that represents the elite institutions of america who can shut down speech with the with the stroke of a pen we're seeing people fired in universities shut down there are you know then there's this weird alliance it's like the those people the neocons and the many I of mean, the, here's the daily the-
1: here's Nikki haley calling for the defunding of universities that allow what she calls anti-semitism which means criticism of Israel uh this is the most insane advocacy for suppressing free speech that I can ever recall and it's as you say Max it's totally widespread
0: yeah Um, Well, what did did Ron DeSantis do in Florida? He demanded the criminalization of Students for Justice in Palestine in Florida. And he had already passed, there's already been a bill passed, which he claims can meet out 30-year prison sentences for calling for the boycott of Israel. So he's openly calling for the criminalization of Palestine solidarity. The Defamation League or the Anti-Defamation League has declared that students for justice in Palestine and protesters who are protesting in solidarity with Palestine should be classified as a violent extremist violent extremist groups by the US government. Basically that protesting Israel should be an act of terrorism, according to the Anti Defamation League, which has connections with law enforcement, federal law enforcement. So they're targeting activism across the board these fake free speech warriors and the anti-war right continues to be completely fake and has gone off the radar as anti the anti-war right i mean whatever it was nice nice uh nice seeing you guys uh care about the ukraine proxy war now um let's redirect all our u.s tax dollars to our apartheid colony in the middle east
1: yeah, it's like that's the best that the so-called anti-war Republicans can do right now is they just want separate votes for Ukraine and Israel, which and they'll probably vote for both anyway. Yeah. But uh, here, here is Mike Johnson, the new Republican uh, Speaker of the House. He just gave an interview, you know, expanding on th- these topics.
6: Now we can't allow Vladimir Putin to prevail in Ukraine because I don't believe it would stop there, and it would probably encourage and empower China to perhaps make a move on Taiwan we have these concerns um we're we're not going to abandon them we we want to be cooperative we need to work together on this but we we owe it to the people to know what the plan is where the money is going to be spent and we need some auditing for the dollars that we've already sent over there these are not tough questions right one thing that house republicans are resolved on is that we must stand with our most important ally in the middle east and that's israel um we will we we certainly hope that it doesn't come to boots on the ground uh, if if it comes to that, and we communicated this to the White House staff as well today, that um, you know we have the Article One power in the legislative branch of government, and they have Article Two. They have very limited authority on what they can do to respond without coming to Congress to seek consent. And even my Democrat colleagues, Sean, that are in uh, committees of jurisdiction, understand this in the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee.
1: And you've had so he's even leaving open the possibility of authorizing U.S. boots on the ground to fight alongside Israel.
0: complete clown show. I mean, Mike Johnson is the embodiment of the clown show of US politics. This is a guy who was the lawyer for the Ark Encounter Creationism Museum in Kentucky, where they teach visitors that man walked along with dinosaurs, as in the Flintstones, and they now feature a life size replica of Noah's Ark uh, in order to teach that the Bible was real and his first act as speaker was to issue a resolution in support of israel's assault on gaza and i think he's what is he in israel now or he's on his way there i don't know uh but complete clowns and then you have hakim jeffries on the other side whose entire career was propelled by the israel lobby i mean he wouldn't be there without pro-israel money uh, and so you know on the theme of uh Republican support for Israel. Israel's UN ambassador, and as you know, we said earlier, Netanyahu's openly catering to their apocalypticist worldview, their eschatology, which sees Israel as the future landing pad for the Messiah following a horrible war, uh, which includes Gog and Magog from the Re- Book of Revelations, which they see as Russia and Iran. Uh, you had the UN ambassador, Gilad Erdan, Actually, visit the largest Christian Zionist pro-apocalypse church in the U.S. Uh, to frame this war as a religious war. There they are, John Hagee. In the words of, of
7: Isaiah, "For Zion's sake I will not keep silent; for Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet." We must stand together, Jews and Christians, in our holy mission for the truth.
0: Holy mission. And he's on stage at the UN right now denouncing Today, the resolution. Dear like friend is
7: a day of action. For tomorrow our children and grandchildren will ask, How did you stand with Israel in her hour of need? We are all watching in horror as millions of Muslims around the world hold anti Semitic protests. <laughs> it's all Muslims. That's the it. al- <laughs> Hamas we are this spreading sucks. this hate loudly. So we need to fight back louder. And Israel needs your voice. It's time to stand up and speak out we need you now more than ever we are united as a family because we always remember god's words i will bless those that bless you and i will curse those that curse you
0: well there you have it from israel's ambassador to the un those who don't support israel's assault on gaza will be cursed by god they are fulfilling the prophecy of isaiah of isaiah and Jews and Christians are in a holy mission against Muslims who are protesting around the world for Palestine, and no one else is protesting with them. They, And and as Aaron pointed out earlier, Lindsey Graham has openly stated that this is a religious war. The whole framework of Hamas' ISIS aims to characterize this as a religious war, and the US is helping guide Israel's military strategy along the lines of its assault on raqqa which was the base of isis they're treating gaza like raqqa raqqa was had 30 bombs fall i believe it was the half of the city was completely destroyed that's the u.s con- counter terror model just kill everybody we're gonna knock the hell out of isis and that's what israel's doing in gaza um where will this lead well how can a, how can uh the rhetoric of religious war not lead to a regional war uh and the u.s atta- as you mentioned Aaron, the u.s attacked syria yesterday is there any uh yeah go ahead
1: yeah the u.s bombed syria uh this is not the first time biden has done this uh trump also did this as well and um this follows you know, hundreds of Israeli airstrikes on Syria over the last many years, which the whole world just ignores because Syria uh, to date is one of the most terrorized states in the world. If you add up the dirty war inflicted on it over the last decade, plus all the Israeli bombings, and everyone just looks away. And then the U.S. has troops in Syria, which nobody pays attention to because who cares? It's just U.S. boots on the ground, stealing the oil and wheat of a war-ravaged country all because the u.s wants to deny syria the right to breathe and to live because syria successfully repelled the regime change war that the u.s was actively involved in and so accordingly this leads to sometimes u.s troops being struck and hit and then biden rather than say consider withdrawing u.s troops launches these bombings as we saw yesterday and the question is where does this go you have uh, Russian forces also inside of Syria because they're actually invited by the Syrian government. Um, so you have there the threat of direct confrontation between those forces because they're on opposing sides, amplified by the fact that there's now a proxy war going on between them inside of Ukraine. And who knows where that could lead to? I mean, Biden is just playing with unprecedented threats here for what? To preserve US hegemony. Inside Ukraine via Ukraine, and to protect another proxy, to protect the hegemony of another proxy, which is Israel.
0: Yeah, you made such an important point. Russian troops are inside Syria. They're at Tartus, on the coast of the Mediterranean. There's a naval base, and there's a, the Khmeimim air base, a Russian air base in Latakia. What if those come under attack? I mean, those will. If there is a regional war, how do the U.S. and Israel avoid attacking those? What does Putin do? What does Russia do? Uh, and is that the is, is that part of the objective? Yeah. So it's not as though Russia and Russia is just simply isolated in an Eastern European theater here. And then you have the several U.S. bases in northeastern Syria. Aaron, you pointed out that they are there to steal the oil at the Kanoko oil fields around Dehras Zor, you constantly see these trucks going out through Iraq, just siphoning that oil in order to starve the Syrian state and to occupy the wheat fields that are the breadbasket of Syria. But they're also a tripwire for a potential war with Iran, a war that the Beltway Uniparty is lusting for. And here's someone who I forgot even existed.
5: Joe in short, is that we can't elect the commanders of all this death, uh, anti-American action in um, the Middle East to, to feel like they're in some safe sanctuary in Iran. It's time for the U.S. military to strike IRGC uh, facilities, missile factories, drone factories in Iran and let them know that we know that uh, the, the Iranians are behind this and we're not gonna let them get away with it anymore.
0: Sorry to interrupt, but like, they're just saying, they're, look at the Chiron, terror targets hit, and then you're just seeing entire families carrying wounded children through the street.
8: So, so just to be clear, you think that the US should strike Iran right now?
5: <laughs> I do because none of this, w- Hamas would not be Hamas without Uh, Iran's support, Uh, they're they're a terrorist agent of Iran, uh, which calls us still the great Satan, and Israel, uh, the little Satan. And the same is true of Hezbollah, the Houthis in Yemen, all the rest, and they're getting away literally with murder, including murder of Americans. Unless we make them pay for this soon, now, they will kill some American military personnel uh, in Iraq. And uh, it, it's something new for them. The uh, the uh, This Iranian government has the blood of Americans on their hands through their terrorist proxies and directly going back uh, decades.
0: So Joe Lieberman is now the head of, the chairman of the United Against a Nuclear Iran, which is an Israel lobby front yeah. that is dedicated to lobbying for war with Iran. So he's sort of the titular head of an organization that is that has loads of money behind it and is dedicated to regional war if not world war and these calls are not
1: isolated yeah and he's advocating to straight up the logic of terrorism that you bomb uh civilian populations uh for the alleged crimes of their leaders and by his logic then iran and all its allies could carry out attacks inside the us because the us is supporting israeli massacres. Inside Gaza, that um, you add up all the crimes of uh, Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas, you know, a mil- you know, and they don't compare; they don't like they pale in comparison to what Israel is doing to Gaza right now. So by his logic, and I'm not adopting it, but I'm saying, by according to his logic, um, there could be there could be targeting inside the U.S. Um, and and he, like some people there call the U.S. the big Satan and Israel little Satan um and that's a reason to go to, to bomb people. <laughs> They're um, calling
0: us names so
1: Yeah. There's a schoolyard now like we bomb people because we get called names as opposed to providing weapons that massacre children like the US is doing with Israel and Gaza. The US has
0: set up so many tripwires for war with Iran and just going back to that the 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 basing the de facto basing in northeastern syria is a project of the neoconservative movement in washington which sabotaged from within you can talk a little bit about that the withdrawal that had been announced by donald trump they're not supposed to be here be there there was supposed to be a withdrawal and they sabotaged it uh Was it Jim Jeffries? Jim Jeffries,
1: who was Trump's envoy to Syria. He even admitted that he lied to the White House about the number of U.S. forces inside Syria to mislead them and to uh, get around Trump's order for them to withdraw. Um, The entire Pentagon leadership basically stonewalled Trump. He's supposed to be the commander in chief. Whatever you think of him, he was elected. Supposed to be a chain of command. uh, And Trump ordered a withdrawal from Syria. And Pentagon leadership and Trump's own envoy ignored it. And that's why U.S. forces are there, because James Jeffrey is among the most fanatical um, proponents of regime change in Syria. He's the one who said that al-Qaeda in Syria is a U.S. asset because they can be used to go after the Syrian government. And he even communicated through intermediaries with the al-Qaeda leader, Jolani, who now rules, rule, rules over Idlib. So these are the people who are running our policy, not even the elected leaders, but the bureaucrats, Who ignore orders for U.S. US withdrawals and openly ally themselves with forces like Al Qaeda, and now Israel turns around and says that we're fighting the equivalent of Al Qaeda and ISIS inside Gaza, when in fact it's Israel and the U.S. that were allied with Al Qaeda and ISIS inside of Syria,
0: and it was Israel that was working to establish a presence for ISIS and Al Qaeda in the on the Syrian non-occupied side of the Golan, because. They considered them allies in the fight against Iran and its allies. Uh, There's no dispute about that. Um, Former Defense Minister of Israel Moshe Ya'alon openly stated that. Uh, We've heard this again and again from Israeli intelligence chiefs, but Jim Jeffrey, the liaison who helped preside over the sabotage of Trump's withdrawal He's now part of the Israel lobby. I believe he's at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, am I right? And that so is, those, uh,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was originally started as the de facto think tank of APAC by Dennis Ross and some of the neocons who were around the Clinton and Obama administration. Um, actually, then there's a fascinating profile uh, on the, at the gray zone by Anya Parampil of Joe Kent, who is a Republican pro-Trump congressional candidate and former special forces officer who lost his wife, the mother of his children, in Syria after the withdrawal was sabotaged, and he began to dedicate himself. I mean, one of his main motivations for running for Congress was to get U.S. troops out of Syria and out of the region. So I thought that was, you know, it's actually a, a kind of a very moving profile of someone. Whatever you think of his domestic his views on domestic politics, and actually, we're gonna. Um, bring Anya in in a minute to just give us an update on what happened at the UN because uh, this all took place while we were streaming. Aaron, um, I don't know if there's, I think we sh- should uh, just cover one more. Th- one more thing real quick, since we've been on the issue of Congress and domestic, the domestic uh, support for Israel's assault on Gaza. And this is the resolution passed by the Senate unanimously uh, declaring Palestine solidarity protesters on campus as, quote, in solidarity with Hamas and anti-Semitic. And it calls to fully and completely support Israel in its war on Gaza. And as Michael Tracy pointed out, everyone from Bernie Sanders to Ron Paul's son, Rand Paul, supported it.
1: Um you have to wonder about Bernie. But and you raised this question I think Max like who is Bernie really? When he in 2016 you know said some really powerful things about Palestinian rights. Is that who he is or was he just pandering then for the Arab vote in Michigan? That was during the primary against Hillary Clinton. Because what is he doing now? The best he can muster uh, along with voting for these ridiculous resolutions is to call for a humanitarian pause that's like the furthest left we can get from our, from the leader of the progressive movement, Bernie Sanders, is a, adopting Tony Blinken's language of a humanitarian pause, not a ceasefire, not an end. The best we can get from Bernie right now is him calling for a pause to the massacres, not an end to them. That's Bernie Sanders. Yeah, So and it was because he but, came
0: under pressure from 300 former staffers.
1: Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> Which is, you know, what kind of it's just uh i think it's a larger conversation we need to have about uh the democratic party because those staffers obviously were very progressive people people who probably lined up with us on a lot of things maybe not everything um but they insisted that there had to be a foothold within the democratic party and that bernie was a vehicle for change and reforming the democratic party And many of them wound up going on to support Joe Biden, or at least holding their nose and voting against Biden to stop fascism. And I I mean, what happens next? Do you, what do you do when Biden not only flouts international opinion, international law, UN votes sabotages every ceasefire resolution, mocks Palestinian death statistics of Palestinian deaths, lies repeats Netanyahu's propaganda and lies to allow Israel to escalate. But he also just stomps on you personally and everything you believe because he's just the status quo Joe, crime bill author we always knew was going to be there who pronounced himself at APAC meeting after APAC gathering a Zionist. He's just being himself. Bernie's back to just being himself. The Bernie that Michael Parenti called in 2016 for supporting the war on Yugoslavia. The Bernie who yelled at his own constituents in 2014 and said, we need Israel needs to has the right to defend itself when it was butchering civilians in Gaza back then. This is just the Democratic Party as it always was. So what's next? Do they pay a price for this? Do they pay a price with young people who are, who understand how important this is, who know what's happening in Palestine, who are out in the streets right now? Do they pay a price? Or are you going to fall back into line because you're so scared of Donald Trump and the fascists coming back into power? That's the question.
1: Yeah, and it's not just uh, the politicians. Like in the case of Bernie, he has this foreign policy advisor named Max Hoffman, who comes from the Center for American Progress, this, you know, whatever you want to call it, progressive kind of sometimes, but mostly neoliberal think tank in Washington. Before that, it was Matt Duss, who was not terrible on Palestine, but was in lockstep with the neocons and pretty much everything else, including the Ukraine proxy war. And And a
0: hyper ambitious, you know, he wanted a soft landing, golden parachute at a think tank and he got it.
1: He got it. Yeah. And he got it. So the tolerance for those kinds of these kinds of career climbers who will sell out basic progressive principles to get ahead in Washington, that needs to be called out, too. And um, and all these progressives who are now seeing Joe Biden's true face, who lined up with him 100 percent on Ukraine. And um are now seeing Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell all of them making the explicit link between Ukraine and Israel saying that we have to support both these conflicts that they're exact same thing um I wonder if the progressives who've been with Joe Biden and his government on Ukraine are going to start to see the light and wake up and realize what they've been supporting because all along Biden's been pursuing a neocon agenda and so it's no surprise at all that he's extending that to Israel as well. And now Joe Biden is even adopting the language of Mitch McConnell when it comes to selling the Ukraine war. There was there was just a big article in Politico about how basically Biden's messaging on Ukraine is not working. So they've started to adopt the Mitch McConnell line, which is basically that funding the war in Ukraine is good for American jobs. And if you listen to Joe right. Biden's insane Oval Office office address last week, he he that's what he that's what Biden said. And also, he talked about Israel, too, but the weapons we're sending to Israel are going to fund American jobs. So this is the headline. The White House is losing the messaging war in Ukraine. Now it's changing the message. The president's team is privately urging lawmakers to focus on the jobs that can be created by the money spent on the war. So all these progressive dupes who bought into this language that were helping Ukraine uh, defend itself from uh, a Russian takeover and that if Russia is not defeated in Ukraine it will move on to the rest of Europe now even Biden is dropping that propaganda and going to something more accurate not although it's not the full story but that this is done to benefit the military industrial complex
0: yeah he said they, they were the Arsenal of democracy and it's creating jobs in Pennsylvania and he rattled off a bunch of swing states and it's also why John Fetterman has become the number one supporter of grinding Gaza to the ground and has put uh hostage photos all uh, papered hit the walls around his office door with hostage photos is because there's so much uh there's so many uh military related jobs and armament factories in Pennsylvania which yep. thrive off of foreign military aid to Israel and to Ukraine I mean and I don't even know if John Fetterman is even there who I mean he's basically a cyborg at this point but uh just we're going to bring in anya parmpil in 30 seconds i just want to say one thing if there is going to if it is possible to make joe biden pay a price and to tell the democrats that he actually suffered at the ballot box because he became genocide joe in gaza it can't be done within the democratic party and it's not clear that it can be done with an independent candidate so the possibility exists though for a protest write-in campaign if it can get enough votes possibly to write in a watermelon which has become a symbol of palestine in countries where the palestinian flag is effectively banned like germany and like israel Fifty thousand people were to write in a watermelon might send in might send in a message but there, i don't see any other way of sending a message i want to uh Bring in Anya right now, who's looking a little bored backstage. Welcome to the stream.
8: Hey guys, what's up?
0: Um well, that's what we want to know. Um, so as we were streaming, there was a important UN vote on a resolution. I guess it was to condemn Israel's actions in the occupied territories. Canada abstained, but tell us what really happened and what's going on at the UN.
8: Well, the vote was actually the most consequential vote to take place at the UN since anything broke out in October, since October 7th, since the Hamas military operation in Israel and and the subsequent exchange between Hamas and and the Israeli army. For a while, the Security Council over the past several weeks have been debating it. And there was a, a back and forth between russian and and western proposed resolutions but then ultimately because the security council comes down to veto authority there was no ability there there was no consequential outcome from 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 the security council and so for this past week there was a debate within the general assembly which is actually all 190 u.n member states having the chance to debate this we saw u.s secretary of state antony blinken Uh, visit the General Assembly as well as the Iranian foreign minister, the South African foreign minister, high level diplomats actually from all around the world were in New York to debate this question over the past week. And it came down ultimately to a resolution that was authored by the Arab uh, group the Arab members of the United Nations, roughly 22 Arab states that are, are members of the UN, put forward a resolution that does not condemn either party. In fact, doesn't really name an aggressor or any anyone to be at fault, simply is upholding the UN's supposed humanitarian mission. So the Arab group resolution that was just passed at the UN uh, uh, what it does is call for an immediate, durable, sustained humanitarian truce between Israel and Hamas. And it demands continuous, sufficient and unhindered provisions for, of life-saving supplies and services for civilians trapped inside Gaza. And so this resolution was up authored as authored by the Arab group. And at the last minute, Canada stepped forward with its own amendment to this resolution, essentially taking the resolution that was just there authored for humanitarian purposes, and then made it explicitly about condemning Hamas and blaming Hamas for the recent violence and completely warping the the purpose of the resolution in order to make it from uh, about calling for an immediate humanitarian solution to just condemning Hamas and and reaffirming Israel's right to defend itself, et cetera. And so this afternoon, there was a brief debate on allowing that that Canadian amendment. The Jordanian uh, delegation spoke out first on behalf of the Arab group denouncing the Canadian uh, resolution. Canada then spoke in favor and the canadian resolution promptly fell flat so essentially by i'm going to look up the exact numbers right now that i have saved right here the canadian resolution condemning hamas failed 88 states voted in favor 55 voted no 23 abstained canada lost the vote by eight votes because you have to get a two-thirds majority for something to pass at the un general assembly And then the Arab group resolution came in with no condemnation of either party, simply about getting humanitarian supplies in and calling for an immediate ceasefire that passed. 120 states voting in in favor, 14 no, 45 abstained. And what was interesting about that vote is the United States and, you can see even Ian Bremmer and Western analysts right now are on Twitter acknowledging that the U.S. was alone other than a few client states. You have the Marshall Islands and 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 Papua
0: New
2: Guinea.
8: Yeah, the, the usual suspects voting alongside the United States. The European powers, Germany, France, others actually abstained from this, which is significant if, if the U.S. can't get its own allies and Israel cannot get its own allies. To, to vote against or veto this basic resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire, durable, sustained humanitarian truce and, and a delivery of humanitarian aid. And you know what was particularly fascinating during this vote, as many states, especially the Arab group states were noting, Israel was escalating, has escalated over the past several hours its operation in Gaza, this long-awaited ground military offensive that, I mean, I personally thought that it was kind of out of the question at this point, Israel was pushing ahead. As we know, they cut off all satellite communication, all, all any, uh, Gaza's essentially under a blackout as a result of the last several hours. The only information we can get out are thanks to outlets such as Al Jazeera that have capacity to be in touch with their correspondents there. Israel has completely cut off electricity and and communication capabilities from Gaza and was making uh, in the north, it seemed pretty aggressive incursions to actually have this uh, ground assault take place. And so as I was watching international media all day, there was a a sense or or a, a, a view that Israel was going ahead with this aggressive position on the ground in Gaza now as a result of this UN vote. And the fact that they knew they were po- poised to lose, that they were going to be called to withdraw or have a humanitarian uh, an outcome. And so they want to have something spark off or they were pretty much just like sending a message to the international community over the last several hours that they don't even care what anyone thinks. And ultimately the UN doesn't have a mechanism to enforce anything. So. That's where we are, and uh, you should have seen. I wish we could pull up the meltdown that the Israeli representative had afterwards. I took some notes about what he what he said. He said that the vote that ultimately called for a humanitarian solution again did not condemn either side, including the Israelis. He said it proved that there was it, that the UN has no ounce of legitimacy. He said it was founded in the wake of the Holocaust, but the spectacle of this vote proves the UN is committed to ensuring, not preventing the continued atrocities that it said, he said that it, it it is voted to show that Israel has no right to defend itself, no right. Uh, at, and, and then this was the worst part at the end, after giving this insane speech, where obviously, yeah, the UN didn't vote that Israel has a right to defend itself, because according to international law, it actually doesn't. The Palestinians have a right to resist. He closed by saying that just today, my government, Israel, has presented evidence that the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza is a center, a base of operations for Hamas. And he said that the international community is failing to acknowledge this, uh, ignoring basically Israel's intelligence. What he's doing right there, we know Al-Shifa has already been warned. It is the largest hospital in Gaza. Israel has already what more can it do other than hit this hospital? And that was how he concluded his speech, his meltdown at the international community for failing to to condemn Hamas. He ends it by basically saying, well, now we're going to bomb this hospital. I mean, I don't take it any other way when the Israelis start speaking about a hospital or a target in that way that they are saying they're going to strike it.
1: Where, as Max mentioned earlier, tens of thousands of people are sheltering on top of all the vital life-saving work that is... Uh, going on there with doctors who already lack the basic supplies they need to do their work, and the so-called intelligence Israel presented—we talked about this before earlier. It, it amounts to an animation video that Israel put together, and this obviously fake recording between two Hamas militants or uh, purported Hamas militants that happens to prove Israel's confirm Israel's allegation, which uh, we saw after the bombing of the hospital. Uh, Israel put out another recording that also happened to magically confirm Israel's allegations and uh, that's the supposed intelligence we're supposed to take at face value
8: right right i i I think i saw someone on twitter make the point that israel miraculously has all of these phone calls proving its narrative but yet could not prevent the october 7th incursion they're they're that brilliant
0: so what happens next at the u.n i mean this was a general assembly vote but you have the security council and the u.s veto does the u.n have any ability to affect the outcome on the ground
8: no the un ultimately has no mechanism to enforce this vote and ultimately israel is sending a message as i said to the international community while this is all taking place that it does not care what anyone thinks i mean that is the purpose of the israeli operation behavior today is they're saying look no matter how you vote were, I mean, they have zero regard. And and you're getting all these conflicting reports about even certain elements within the United States growing concerned with where this war is going. Why are, I mean, they, they could just pull back and stop. Why aren't they? Antony Blinken, when he was at the UN this week, he claimed, along with other US officials, that the US doesn't want war with Iran. They claim they don't want escalation. Well, then why last night did they bomb Iranian targets in Syria what what is the goal at this point i personally the yeah the un has no 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 option here but i don't see any any uh, any off ramp and this was all happening at the un while these reports about the possible the the potential for a qatari brokered prisoner swap we're also breaking today, you notice that that the, there were these reports at Al Jazeera and other outlets that the Qataris had actually possibly brokered a, a a deal between Israel and Hamas to swap the final hostages, which would be the best outcome for everyone. But it seems like there's this faction of the Israeli and US establishment that still want to keep pushing toward war. I don't think there's a cohesive strategy on either end. I think there's just one radical group across both entities that is pushing us toward a war with Iran and everything that they've been, you know, pushing for since the project for a new American century began.
0: Yeah. Since the Wolfowitz doctrine started to take shape on the international stage. I mean, we're still seeing it, but push, but pushing against unprecedented resistance. And as I pointed out in my piece I published yesterday on Israel, killing Israeli civilians using heavy weapons on October 7th in attempts to dislodge Hamas gunmen, bombing homes in Kibbutzim in Baeri, where the most civilians or non-combatants were killed, uh, opening fire on randomly on cars going to and from Gaza after the fence was breached, many cars that had Israelis in them uh, with Apache helicopters. Won't have time to probably cover this piece, but you know i ended the piece talking or explaining how the israeli military establishment actually opposes these captive releases because they're delaying this ground invasion that they continue to promise and they're making hamas look humanitarian or humane in comparison to themselves you're also seeing families campaigning for the release of their family members in tel aviv and outside the prime minister's residence in jerusalem actually getting physically attacked by Israeli bystanders who have been whipped up into this genocidal frenzy. And they see them as the only obstruction uh, between uh, the ground invasion that will satiate their bloodlust and a ceasefire. And so those families are left out in the cold. And the al Qassam Brigades have reported that around 50 Israeli captives have already been killed by Israel by Israel do they actually want them back do they no I don't think so I don't think so I don't think they want to pay the political price they're trying to eliminate any political pressure on the international stage at the UN they're threatening Antonio Guterres the secretary general they said we were, he doesn't have a visa he can't come to Israel he can't like come on a birthright trip or whatever and they are threat. and they are trying to prevent any political pressure at home that stands in the way of this mass bombardment and possible ground invasion of Gaza. And that means eliminating the captives, eliminating them. They're killing captives in Gaza. And they—if they, if their intelligence is so great and they have all these phone calls and they know where all the tunnels are, then they know where the captives are. And this is the Hannibal Directive, the secret military procedure that Israel initiated that allows it to kill captives who are Israeli citizens to prevent politically painful Um, Prisoner exchanges for the thousands of Palestinian prisoners who are in Israeli jails who have been kidnapped effectively, including some 700 children. Some 700 Palestinian children are in prison. Thousands of Palestinians are in prison without charges under administrative detention. And so they're trying to prevent that. They don't care. It doesn't seem they care about Israeli life as much as they care about killing Palestinians.
1: This was in the Times of Israel. The Israeli army is concerned that further hostage releases by Hamas could lead the political leadership to delay a ground incursion or even halt it midway. So if this account is correct, then the Israeli military is worried that the release of more hostages could impede its plans to launch a ground invasion of Gaza.
0: Yeah, I mean, you had the release of uh, Yonan Lifshitz, the 85-year-old peace activist uh, who is- captured and she was let go with her 79 year old friend Israel initially rejected their release then when they accepted them she was seen clasping hands with a Hamas militant and wishing him shalom on her way out and then she delivered a press conference stating that she was treated extremely well by her captors once she arrived in Gaza she described quote unquote going through hell to get there Um, and so the Israeli uh, government propagandists have been basically stating if anyone else gets released they can't give a press conference this was a disaster for us so they're hostile to releasing the captives because of what they'll say about gaza i mean a lot of them are actually people more on the left of the spectrum from the southern kibbutzim um, that are out of step with israel's current leadership so this was a disaster for them uh it's not about the captives it's not about freeing them it's about regime change in Gaza, which will mean mass elimination of the civilian of of civilians there, it it can't be achieved without Stalingrad levels of casualties. That's where we're at right now. Anya, anything you thanks also for that. Excellent update. Um, Anything you want to add before you go?
8: Well, I wish I had actual like sources or insight to give, but it is always interesting just to follow the UN in that way anyway. Just, we had to close, a few weeks ago, and maybe you can find it, Max, I fa- we were watching that 60 Minutes report about the Israelis that are protesting, that were protesting Netanyahu before all this began. And one of the protest leaders was this female Israeli helicopter pilot who, says and maybe if you can find the clip something along the lines of when she's complaining about netanyahu she says that if you are asking helicopter pilots to strike a home knowing they could be killing innocent women and children then they have to have the utmost uh belief in their government. Like, what? You mean if you believe in your government that you will execute children and women and children? Like, wow, that's a messed up way of thinking. But when she she was, wait, let me just make my statement and then I'm going to log off and you can close that. When she's making that statement, she's thinking about Palestinians. What's interesting about your report and now what we're seeing is the reality in Israel is that can also mean Israeli civilians in a kibbutz. Do you trust your government are you gonna fire on your own countrymen apparently so if you trust them so just a different way of interpreting the warped mind of israelis
0: and what and, and the israeli police or the israeli government has now issued live fire orders um, allowing local uh, police precinct captains to open fire on anyone approaching without permission from uh commanders um so let's i guess ready ourselves for more friendly fire fratricide incidents um, like the many we saw on October 7th, which could have accounted for hundreds of the Israeli casualties that we saw that day. Um, But Anya, thanks so much for that awesome update.
8: All right, I'll catch up with you guys soon.
0: (laughs) Okay, so yeah, I mean, we might as well show that clip uh, that Anya mentioned. This is from 60 Minutes during the so-called pro-democracy protests against Netanyahu. And keep in mind that the Air Force pilots that are bombarding Gaza come from the cream of Israel's enlightened public. They come from the mostly the Ashkenazi elite. They tend to be the most educated members of the Israeli army, and they are responsible for the most casualties in Gaza right now. Uh, and you know they do it with a push of a button. As a former Israeli Air Force Chief of Staff, Dan Halutz said, I feel nothing when I drop a bomb below, I feel nothing but a bump in the plane. He said that about authorizing a strike on an entire apartment block in Gaza that killed some 30 people.
8: If you want pilots to be able to fly and shoot bombs and missiles into houses knowing they might be killing children, they must have the strongest confidence in the people making those decisions.
2: The moral
1: values of them
0: if you want (laughs) the moral values of them
1: (laughs) the moral values of the baby the moral values of the baby killers
0: we need to we need moral baby killers not and basically they're saying we need someone who's not netanyahu so we can kill babies and uh you know we we don't want to uh, exceptionalize netanyahu uh, so many of the worst military operations were carried out under the labor party the so-called left of the israeli political spectrum so but yeah. those are the pilots in the air right now uh we haven't seen any ground incursion uh, i raised the question two weeks ago about whether israel would be able to mount a su- successful ground incursion it's obvious they have no plan but will they even Well, this backfire, uh, causing massive casualties among Israeli forces, which are notoriously poor in face-to-face, close-quarters combat and casualty averse, deepening Israel's societal societal crisis. I mean, Israel was totally divided before October 7th. I think this was a factor in why Hamas decided to execute its operation.
1: Um, But yeah, I think uh, they'll have... Yeah, go ahead. Well, the White House just uh, put this out, um, saying that the Biden administration is urging Israel to rethink its plans for a major ground offensive in the Gaza Strip and instead opt for a more surgical operation on high-value Hamas targets and infrastructure. So this is the White House leaking to the Washington Post that it opposes an Israeli ground invasion and instead favors so-called surgical strikes, which means carpet bombing, uh, as Israel's is doing currently, and also the US did in places like Raqqa and Mosul. But the question is, why is the White House leaking that? Is that just to save, face, is it just face-saving PR so that when Israel escalates its genocide by the ground invasion that the White House can claim that it was opposed to it? When the same article admits buried at the bottom that even though the US is opp- supposedly opposed to a ground invasion, it's not threatening to impose any consequences on Israel whatsoever, because of course it's yeah. not. Um, or is the White House doing this uh, uh, as a prelude to Israel actually backing off and not going ahead with the ground invasion, instead of, instead just continuing to carpet bomb? I don't know, but at least they're trying to make it look publicly as if they're as if they don't support it, when in reality they're doing nothing to oppose it.
0: I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu has been saying we will do a ground invasion, inshallah. Uh, he's basically refusing to give a timetable. There could be a limited ground incursion. There could I there could also be no ground incursion if somehow the US steps in via Qatar and or organizes some kind of deal for the release of the captives, which would still be politically controversial in Israeli society. Most of the Israeli public wants to see what they have been promised and they believe the lies that they have been told, which is that Israel can march into Gaza City and just remove hamas isis and install some puppet government like they have in ramallah and that everything will be fine they believe their military can do it and i don't think that's going to i don't know if that's going to be possible but the political pressure netanyahu has created this scenario where he has to execute an operation that cannot be completed the promises can't be fulfilled and we're looking at something that might be more foolhardy than Russia's initial plan when it went into Ukraine uh thinking that there was going to be some kind of political solution early on as it moved towards Kiev I mean I don't, I don't even know if that's the right comparison but uh there's there are several x factors like Hezbollah in the north which is held back so far and The I hate to use Iranian proxy language is not correct, but Iranian allies in in Iraq and Iran itself um, has been issuing some strong warnings, but would obviously probably prefer to hold back. (laughs) It's a tinderbox. And what what I'm saying here is that Israel is such a destabilizing factor. It's such a politically destabilizing factor in that region, and it has so much political power in Washington and so much impunity that it doesn't necessarily matter what the Biden administration wants or what any of the powerful regional players want when you have this wild mad irrational rabid dog that's off the chain right now and is being guided by the most extreme elements in its society so it's hard to predict and uh I I wanted to talk more about my article, but I think we should probably wrap it up just to kind of sum up the piece. Um, It relates to this part of the conversation about is irrationality, disproportionate force, the indiscriminate use of weapons against civilians? Because when Israel was overwhelmed on October 7th, it had no response in its strategic arsenal other than disproportionate force which happened to be directed against its own population so in my piece i use hebrew language media testimonies of eyewitnesses to israel's response on october 7th as well as visual evidence of the supposed hamas crimes the most grisly crimes that are being presented by israel on the international stage to show that israel may have killed large numbers of its own civilians including non-combatants in an effort to dislodge hamas gunmen and that's not to say that hamas militants did not intentionally kill large numbers of israelis but they had small arms they entered on foot and on motorcycles with kalashnikovs but what we saw in for example kibbutz berry is every home was destroyed they were destroyed with tank shells and now we have admissions in haaretz only in hebrew that those houses were shelled in a deliberate military order knowing that israeli civilians were inside and so then then you see all these charred bodies burned bodies in cars you have apache helicopter pilots saying we were operating without any intelligence we didn't know who was on the ground but we had to fire everything we had um so you see all these photographs of cars That have completely been bombed out and the bodies inside are completely charred are we to believe that hamas gunmen were able to meticulously burn every car and burn every home and somehow blow up these homes and reduce them to rubble and make them look like the damage we see in gaza so what we saw israel bombed its own base its own military base at the eras crossing that's the biggest nerve center of the siege on gaza it was overwhelmed by Hamas militants and they bombed it with helicopters, with Hellfire missiles. And now the roof is off, the the base is like mostly destroyed and they had all their civil administrators inside. So now they're using these photos of charred bodies to say that Hamas burns people, that they rape people and not to say that there were not atrocities committed by Hamas on October 7th, but this, it, 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 it's amazing how the Israeli response on October 7th was so badly botched. There was so much friendly fire, and now they're using that to make way for more atrocities, senseless atrocities in Gaza, including the killing of Israeli captives, so the killing of more Israeli citizens. So this article, I think it needs to be translated into Hebrew. This needs to reach the Israeli public, the consciousness of the Israeli public, Anyone who can see right now what their military is doing and how little regard they have for Israeli life, they need to demand an independent investigation. And Netanyahu is saying we're going to do that after the war. Don't talk about that because he knows how sensitive it is. So it's so important to focus on that and our own media hasn't touched this. It's a major story. It's one of the biggest stories of the war. Our own media hasn't touched it. Electronic Intifada did it. Mondo Weiss has touched it. We are on it our media won't touch it so they they need to engage with the the fact that israel's killed and is killing its own citizens senselessly
1: uh and max you know, just so nobody twists what you're saying because people will try to um i don't hear anything in what you've written you're not you acknowledge that obviously some israeli civilians were killed by the militants whether they were in Hamas. Well, or i said other- yeah and i said
0: that i said that in yeah. the piece and i just said but, that now The point is what with what 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 were the weapons that we saw i mean hamas recorded it so first of all they recorded themselves in israeli military bases there are close to 900 confirmed israeli deaths which is 500 less than the figure that we have been told since the beginning of 1400 if you know biden and his team want to challenge the palestinian death toll and two can play that game the confirmed deaths are now at 900 almost 50 percent of those deaths are uniformed israeli soldiers who were actively engaged in the siege of gaza and were combatants engaged in an act of war on october 7th
1: and people can uh, verify that themselves if they want to by going to haaretz the israeli newspaper yes. that has a tool and and that's where those figures are coming from
0: okay so yes exactly so go see for yourself so they so that's 50 percent of those deaths around and then there are many uh, armed israeli who you know people who were carrying guns in their homes it's a very armed society but the hamas militants filmed much of that with gopro cameras and with cell phones and put it online and also gopro cameras were recovered from dead hamas militants and have been put online at like the telegram account of south responders which is an israeli rescue organization and then they've been fed to the media as part of israel's propaganda and they do show them actually shooting some people with kalashnikovs and it is pretty clear that they were just they were setting up checkpoints and shooting motorists who were passing by escaping from the nova music festival but we don't see any evidence that they were able to burn every home in a kibbutz and reduce the homes to rubble or burn all these bodies in cars those are the telltale signs of hellfire missiles and tank shells and so that's what i'm saying and that tactic may have cost That caused heavy death tolls again it's all to avoid uh the scenario of negotiation in my view
1: yeah and this and this qr code that the israeli ambassador asked people to scan right to take people to evidence of that israel collected supposedly against Hamas. uh you were in your article you talked about this that the the file online that goes to was actually some of the some of the pieces of so-called evidence were deleted
0: yeah uh gilad <laughs> erdan has actually uh, the un ambassador who waved that uh qr code I, as soon as he waved it i went there and first of all the photos were questionable themselves but second of all they all disappeared and now he's gone on twitter and complained that they were all taken down because of complaints because he's basically putting snuff films on a google drive and distributing it across the internet uh basically like burned body parts but as i pointed out one of those photos that he was promoting as hamas atrocities showed a pile of burned comp- comprehensively charred bodies in a dump truck okay we saw video after video and i linked to it in my article i definitely i'm not showing it here of israelis defiling the corpses of hamas activists and gunmen and everybody killed who came in from gaza some of the people who came in were just onlookers defiling them in the most disgusting way stripping them urinating on them mutilating their body parts israelis who were killed that day were taken away in body bags individually to mortuaries and to forensic pathologists so it's pretty obvious that israel the israeli rescue crews or whoever arrived on the scene dumped dead hamas militants in a dumpster after they were killed in either a tank strike or a hellfire missile strike they missed that that was essentially defiling their bodies they would have never done that to jewish israelis so Gilad ordan was promoting dead hamas gunmen as evidence of hamas atrocities uh or or to, to essentially say that they burned israelis and put them in a dumpster to reinforce the point that Hamas is ISIS um and so that disappeared and now he's saying it was just a glitch
1: yeah and this follows you know as you talk about a lot this attempt to roll out this lie about 40 beheaded babies right which yeah. was spread around a lot and then ultimately that was retracted so there's ample grounds to be skeptical of everything that Israel has said and uh Your report at thegrayzone.com is trying to look at some of the available evidence that comes from as far as i understand your story it comes from israeli sources
0: a hundred percent a hundred percent and you can just look at the visual evidence um and i I also relied on documentation of my own in gaza in 2014 where like a car of a taxi driver named fadal alawan who was killed by a hellfire missile strike from a drone after he dropped a wounded fighter off at a hospital without knowing it he didn't and they just killed him so i got to look at his car in gaza city it looked just like the cars that you see in the israeli propaganda that they're saying hamas burned uh and i actually remember looking in his car and seeing his sandal melted into the gas pedal only a hellfire missile can do that and have that much precision so i think there's another piece to be done and it's about the source of the beheaded baby's claim we nailed one of the sources who happened to be an extremist settler who was a reservist who got to kibbutz berry and just fed this lie to a israeli journalist but there's another source behind so many of these claims like for example that hamas cut the fetus out of a woman and it's one rescuer uh, who's part of this rescue crew called zaka and basically everyone's just taking these people at their word without doing any examination i think one day there will be an independent commission and it will bear out a lot of the points that i'm making that a lot of people on the israeli left the radical left in israel are, are making right now and which a lot of the families of captives are quietly discussing but which they're afraid to say in public and it's again it's one of the biggest stories of the war and the whole u.s and western media
1: won't touch it in the u.s i've only seen apart from the gray zone there were stories earlier on in the electronic antifada and also mondo weiss to this effect but otherwise this this aspect's been totally ignored
0: Well, we're gonna we're gonna stay on it. And uh, incredible contributions today from Dr. Gabor Mate. Um, I don't know where you found that incredible guest, Aaron, but we really appreciate you efforting that uh, and uh, getting access to people like that. Um, (laughs) That was supposed to be. Well, it's
1: important, you know. It's important right now. I mean, a genocide's being committed before our eyes, as 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 Gabor talked about. The Western media politicians are cheering it on. And so it, it's important in times like this to hear from survivors of, of previous genocides, in his case, the the Nazi Holocaust, which is now being invoked to commit this new Holocaust. And so um, I, yeah, I really appreciate hearing from him too. And we're going to keep covering, obviously, this unfolding genocide where, as we've acknowledged during the stream, I mean, sometimes just the words aren't there because it's just so unbelievably, unbelievably horrific.
0: Yeah, and I would just say, observing you over the years, Aaron, uh, you make go through extreme pains and contortions to maintain the most moderate presentation and rhetoric. Um, so when you say something like genocide, uh, contains a lot of gravity. Um, and uh, also excellent contribution from Anya Parampil, check out her upcoming book Corporate Coup, it's available for pre order or books like this stream because we are suppressed, often demonetized. Subscribe, subscribe to The Gray Zone here. Uh, we're gonna hopefully stream next week also on Rumble because um, I'm starting to get sick of what YouTube is doing. Visit the site, thegrayzone.com for our investigative reporting. We're also we're on Rockfin. And uh, we're on Pacifica, KPFKLA on Sundays on um yeah on tuesdays and uh, wbai new york on sunday uh we'll we'll be back several times this week i hope thanks for being with us thanks for all your support we really appreciate you Um, yeah hang in there and thanks a lot aaron thank you max all right peace